today, as we move through uh, the New Testament and look at these parables of Jesus, the greatest story ever told, we're going to look at uh, Jesus' instruction on prayer. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to start uh, under the assumption that all of us pray. Uh, if you're here this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, you've come together for worship, uh, I'm going to assume that you pray, but like me, I'm going to assume that we all wish we prayed more effectively. Is there anybody, just show of hands, that wishes you prayed more effectively so it's not just me? Yeah, that's the majority of us here uh, this morning. There's not a man, a woman among us who would say that right now, in this moment, that my prayer life is all that it could be. Uh, the truth of the matter is that if we're transparent and honest with one another, uh, we all feel at, at different times and seasons in our journey with Christ that we're deficient in this area of prayer. I've heard it said before, if you've been around the church at all, just start a class, James, on prayer or evangelism and, and you'll clear the room really quick. All right, you'll, you'll clear it uh, very quick. Thank you for that head nod of affirmation, James. Uh, but thankfully... Uh, the Lord Jesus here in Luke chapter 11 did not leave us to wonder about prayer. I found this quote from Max Lucado. Uh, prayer is working. Uh, let that sink in for a second because it, it's, got, it's, it's a double entendre. Prayer is working there in heaven and prayer works here, now, in our present day reality, in our hearts. And so I want you just to Interact with me briefly here on the count of three. I want you to read that quote, prayer is working from Max Lucado. One, two, three. Can okay, I one more time just because I loved hearing that from you guys. Shout it back at me. One, two, three. Prayer is working. Prayer is working. And here's the rub of why I think uh, Max Lucado put this statement on paper. In our Western civilization here in America, I think we devalue prayer because for the majority of us, if we're, if we're honest, again, when we talk about or when we evaluate prayer, we look at it as, we look at it as so passive. And it's, uh, it's almost like uh, a second hand. It doesn't take action. And um, it, it's, it's not something that I can quantify or I can put a value or I can numerically attach uh, any kind of uh, number or increment to. Uh, but prayer is working, encourages us, uh, because so many of us, we're deficient, we know we need to do better, we wish we could do better, and I want to challenge you this morning. My prayer and my hope, church family, is that you would walk out of here in our time together and not be discouraged, not be browbeat or kicked in the shins. We all know that we need to do better in prayer. And I think Jesus' encouragement, though prayer is commanded, is that it's an invitation. And that through the scripture, through this instruction, through this motivation and this, uh, turn this parable that Jesus tells us here in Luke chapter 11, that you'd be encouraged to stay persistent and to respond to this invitation into the throne room of heaven because you have a heavenly father who loves you and he longs to be close to you and he longs to spend time with you in his presence. It's for our good. And so... Persistent prayer, that's what a Luke 11, 1 to 13, we're going to cover all these verses. It's persistent prayer. Everybody say persistent. 
Yeah, it's kind of a fun word, persistent, uh, just a fun word to say, and, and it's a good encouragement for us all. The Lord's Prayer, Luke 11, 1 through 4, this is Luke's version. He's going to tell us uh, just kind of an abbreviated version there in verses 1 through 4 of the, Luke, of, of the, uh, of, of the Lord's Prayer uh, from a, a doctor's perspective. Then he gives us a parable. In verses 5 through 10, a parable is simply a, a story from life that drives home a spiritual reality. Uh, that's all a, a parable really is. Jesus takes something that we can relate to, that we can connect with, and he says there's something deeper. There's a spiritual truth behind this, so come look at it with me. Dr. Al Mohler of Southern Seminary, he says uh, that parables are like hand grenades. Let me just say that again for those of you that weren't listening. Parables are like hand grenades. They're not cute little stories intended only for kids, but they're meant to explode and awaken our mind and our hearts to deeper spiritual realities. That's what parables are about. If you're like me, it's easy to check out like, oh, it's a parable. We'll just leave that for the junior high and the preteen kids. Jesus didn't really want me to see or hear anything here, but pay attention because these parables are rich and they're deep and they're full of encouragement. And then verses 11 to 13, it's the promise of a heavenly father, a heavenly father who hears and who answers our prayers and is always, every time, welcoming us with open arms, with an open door into his presence. And so here's how it breaks down. Jesus is going to tell us what to pray He's going to show us how to pray, and he's going to tell us why to pray. It's the what, the how, and the why. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's a parable, and it's a promise. It's instruction, determination, and motivation. The disciples ask for it, and so he instructs them. And uh, just like any coach, I don't know about anybody else in the room, but uh, sports have meant a lot to me. They've uh, shown me a lot about life, lessons, uh, good and bad, highs and lows, and I just think about Jesus often in my walk with God as like the ultimate instructor, the ultimate coach. And he, he has his boys, his disciples that ask him, teach us how to pray. Like John's disciples, show us how to pray. And so here's how this is going to break down. He calls them into the meeting room and, and he gives them the Lord's prayer. And then he says, now we're going to go out and execute. Here's what this looks like in the real life. Here's a quick parable to illustrate what I'm talking about how it applies, and then he said, here's the motivation. Here's the promise at the end. And so I want you right now in your chairs to be thinking about, to be asking the Lord by his spirit to be moving in your heart because when we conclude our time together, we're gonna pray. We're not just gonna take it like X's and O's, the instruction, and then, and I'm not just gonna tell you how to do it, but we're gonna execute it. We're gonna go run the play. It's not going to be just a lot of theory and something that we hear about. This is all red letters. This is all Luke 11. This is all Jesus, uh, Luke re recording Jesus' words. And so we're going to take Jesus at his word, and we're going to pray together as a husband, as a wife, as a family, moms and dads with children. We'll have staff, and we'll have some deacons and some prayer partners that we'd love for you to come if you need somebody to pray with available. But just right now at the onset of this message, be thinking and asking God, what it is that's going on in your life that you need prayer for or about. So look with me now in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. In verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. It's the Lord's Prayer from Luke's mouth. And if you're like me, you're way more familiar with the uh, Matthew 6, uh, uh, way more detailed. Uh, This just is real cut and dried like any doctor that practices medicine. Rick, I mean, he's just right to the point. Here's the problem. Here's the issue here. The key things I want you to, to focus on. He tells them, in, uh, in the Lord's Prayer right here, for his provision, pardon, and protection. Look at verse 3. He says, give us each day our daily bread. We, he wants us to rely on him. He's a, he's a good father that provides for his children. Uh, again, just the cliff notes. I mean, I feel like we get shorted a little bit here from Luke, but then he tells us, We've got to pardon, forgive us our sins. As we pray, Jesus says, uh, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So he gives us a provision, pardon, and then the last P there, he protects us. Lead us not into uh, temptation. And so just basic instruction, a posture of humility and dependence. Your heavenly Father will provide for everything that you need. Not necessarily all of your wants, but he, he's a God who provides And he's forgiven every one of your sins. He's pardoned you. He's given you uh, the gift of forgiveness. And so I just believe there's somebody here this morning that needs to know that you're maybe wrestling with a a past of brokenness and rebellion and heartache and that God, your Father, he's pardoned you through the perfect life and sacrifice of his only son, Jesus. He's taken every sin you committed yesterday Every sin that you will commit today and every sin tomorrow, young man, that you're going to commit, he put them all on Jesus. That's how much he loved you. And he saw your life, your first day, just like he saw your very last day. And he said, I don't want you to stay in that lost and broken and isolated state. I loved you so much, I'm sending my one and only son, the beloved Savior of the world who stayed on that cross when the Bible tells us he had 12 legions of angels, almost 150,000 angels. He could have have changed that scene in a second. He didn't even have to say a word. I feel like he could have just glanced at an angel and said, enough of this. We're going a different route. But Jesus, in obedience, stayed there, and he forgave us. He pardoned our sin and gave us the greatest gift. Don't ever get over that. Don't ever gloss over the forgiveness that you have and that I have, that we have received. Not because of anything we've done or anything special about us, but simply because of the perfect love of a heavenly Father who pardons us and declares that we're not guilty. You've got forgiveness. And then the protection. You walk out of here. You came in this morning Brothers and sisters in Christ, you want to worship together. We're hearing from God's word, but you got a target on your back. And when you leave here, the devil would like nothing more than to take you out, to lead you to a place of stumble and fall and compromise. And so Jesus says to his disciples, be on guard. I'm going to provide for you. I've pardoned you, and I want to protect you. And then verse 5, he moves from just the instruction to now the, the determination and the demonstration of what this looks like in this parable that he tells the disciples. Read along with me in Luke eleven five. 5. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to his friend at midnight. Everybody say midnight. 
That's a late hour of the day. Some kids in here, just they just get started at midnight. But for me, I'm well into my second or third stage of REM sleep at midnight. So it's, not, it's a very inopportune time. His friend asked for three loaves of bread about a day's ration. Verse six, verse 6 says, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. He's in a pickle. All right, there's a neighbor who goes to his friend because he has uh, a, an old acquaintance that shows up from a long journey unexpected at his house. Verse 7, then the one inside, uh, the, the neighbor who's receiving this visitor who's knocking on the door answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Look, we brushed our teeth. We've read our bedtime story. We've said our prayers. We're in bed. All right, we're laid up. This night is done. This day is over. Verse 8, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. So the friendship couldn't cover that. It wasn't, there, there wasn't enough, uh, uh, the, the friendship wouldn't sustain. And he says, yet because of the man's persistence or his boldness, his audacity, his relentlessness, his tenacity, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That's the key word there in verse 8. It's the Greek word anadia. In verse 9 and 10, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And so in this parable, first century um, Jewish dwellings were very simple, very modest, one room, bottom floor would have been a, a hosting, living kind of area with maybe a kitchen or a fire or something to prepare some kind of food in an area to hang out. And then a, a simple little stair unit that would have gone up to their loft, which is where everyone in the home, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, everyone would have been sleeping right up there. And so the uh, understatement of the morning is that this would have been an extremely inconvenient time to have a visitor or to have someone uh, knocking on your door. So uh, before we get too judgmental and looking down and, you know, you're putting yourself in Jesus' parable and thinking, well, if I have a friend that comes to my door, well, I'm just going to jump right out of bed and go give him three loaves and whatever else he might need. No, you wouldn't. All right? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I would be thinking of a huge list of reasons to why, as much as I like this guy and I care about this guy and we did all of our t-ball games together and we've hung out at the North Campus at church together, I'm not getting up, all right? You weren't ready, this is on you. But look at the New Living Translation. Though he wouldn't do it for friendship's sake, the neighbor had so many reasons to stay in bed and ignore his friends. He will get up and give him whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Everybody say persistence. We're talking about persistent prayer. This is the key. This is the catalyst. Look at the Williams New Testament version. Although he would not get up because he is your friend, yet because of your persistence, there's that word again, he will get up and give you all of your needs. And the New King James, though he will not rise because of he is your friend, yet because of his persistence, everybody one more time say persistence, it's persistence that he will rise and give him as much as he needs. In this parable, Jesus contrasts the neighbor to the heart of a God and a heavenly father who, when we're persistent, 
and we keep on knocking, and we keep on asking, and we keep on seeking, that eventually we get the answer. I think about this just in relationship to my own kids. How many of you in here have children? Okay, that's a lot of you. You can identify, if you have children at all, to just this scenario where uh, you name the item. Typically for us, it's when we're out eating somewhere, and eating out already costs enough as it is, right? I just try to keep it across the board, just a carte blanche rule. We all drink water, all right? Let's just drink water, right? We don't need any extra sugar in our diet. We don't need sodas. I'm not going to drink anything. You cannot drink. Let's just, I'll set the example. Let's just sacrifice. But then, oh, it's, it's Mexican food, Dad. I have to have a Coke. I got to have a Dr. Pepper. Can I please have a Dr. Pepper? And I'm, no, no. And, and there's just so many no's that I can throw down before eventually they wear me down. And I'm just like, okay, one soda, but you're all sharing it. All right, and it's just they're, they're, the persistence. They don't give up. Uh, they're tenacious. They're relentless. And the, the desperation of this neighbor, I mean, it would have been a shameful, embarrassing moment to not have any provision, to not have any bread, any rations to, to give to his guest who came at that midnight hour. It was the desperation to provide for his friend who had just arrived. Erwin Lutzer put it this way, we don't truly learn to pray until we are desperate. It's desperation. You know, we all raised our hand earlier about how much we'd like to improve in our prayer life and that we all at different times have felt deficient or ineffective. But how many times have we seen it again and again that it's the desperation that drives us to our knees, that it's desperation that causes us to look around and, and, and realize and assessing a situation that I can't handle this, that I can't do this on my own. If I'm honest, a lot of the lack of prayer in my own life is because I think I can handle a given situation. I feel like I can handle the majority of things that come my way. So I don't necessarily need God, but you get your world rocked by the loss of a job or uh, a diagnosis of cancer or, or some debilitating sickness or illness. Think about a, a child or a grandchild that's off the reservation and a prodigal, and maybe you have no communication with them at all, and you don't even know where your child or grandchild is in this world. It's a midnight hour. It's not just a time on a clock that Jesus references. We've all been in different points in our life, at that midnight hour, addiction, death, fill in the blank. What is your midnight hour? My wife Holly and I, 17 years ago this month, were on a vacation out in Southern California. We had a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and we got a terrible phone call from uh, my father-in-law that we needed to get home. And our vacation wasn't over, but we went straight to the airport and in the midst of that travel found out that my oldest son had an accident where he had severely damaged his eye. And we get back to the hospital. There's all kinds of uncertainty, all kinds of uh, speculation as to what's going to happen with his eye. And I can tell you right now to a man that as a father at 
whatever age I was, 30-something, I would have given up both my eyes. I had seen plenty to take my son's place, but I couldn't do that. And in my desperation and in my calling on, on the Lord uh, to heal, I, I was just time and again, God impressed upon my heart that, David, I've got your son. I love Jackson way more than you ever could. And I know what he's going through. And I'm going to take care of him. And, I, and I'll just tell you, hearing that one time wasn't enough. There's never been a period. Talk about desperation. There's never been a period in, in my married life, my life as an adult, my life as a follower of Christ, where I've been more at the end of myself, where I've been more desperate in prayer. There were nights where I couldn't sleep just thinking about what his future was going to look like or, 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 or how this was going to affect him in one way or another, where I just was laying a, there not asleep and I would just roll out of bed because I felt like I needed to get lower. I needed to put myself in more of a posture of humility and dependence. And I would fall on the ground beside my bed. I'd be on my knees and I'd find myself in prayer and then just laying down at different times before God saying, Lord, I don't know what tomorrow holds for Jackson, but I'm thankful that you hold it all and that you're going to take care of my boy. It's desperate moments at the midnight hour that lead us to pray and to call upon him. Some of you in this room tonight, this morning, are facing uh, last night, a, a, a midnight hour, a desperate moment. And Jesus, in verses 9 and 10, he encourages his disciples, seek and it will be given to you. Ask, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It's right there. He encourages them. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Look at your neighbor right now and say, don't give up. Just turn to somebody right now and just say that out loud. Don't give up. Don't give up. We've all been in those moments in our lives where we've just wanted to give up. And, and prayer seems like a last option. And Jesus says, keep on asking. You will receive. Keep on seeking. You will find. Keep on knocking. The door will be opened. There's never anything too small and we're never a bother. Prayer is working. Prayer is worth the effort. It's worth the time. It's working there and it's working here. Prayer is working. And then you see the promise in verses 11 to 13 where Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's the heart of a perfect heavenly father. He's a good, good father who desires to give good gifts to his children. And Jesus just said, look, you're a human father. And if your children have needs, if they're hungry, you're going to take care of your child. You're going to feed them. If, you're, if your child needs a roof over your head, you're going to do everything you can to find them a place to live. You're going to take care of your children. And you have a perfect heavenly father who knows everything that you need, who knows everything that's going on in your life, 
And he says, you can trust me. He's a heavenly father who cares. He cares deeply. That's our motivation. Psalm 84, 11 says the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's not up there in heaven looking for places and times that you fall so then you mess up so that he can hit you in the shins. That's not him. That's not our God. He is a perfect heavenly father who at times will discipline us for our own good and there will be hardship and difficulties that come, but he can use even the midnight hour, the most challenging circumstances and events in our lives. He'll use them for our good and for his ultimate glory. It's a promise. So that's our motivation. Jesus instructs us through the Lord's Prayer. He gives us a demonstration uh, through a parable and an example of persistence to not give up, to stay determined. And he gives us the motivation and a promise right there. And so in our uh, remaining moments, I want to invite you right now to stand here in this room and in our overflow room. Would you guys just all stand, please, with me? And here's how we're going to close our time together. I told you it was coming. And so I want you to know that prayer is both a command and it's an invitation. It's an invitation into the throne room of heaven. We said it earlier, we all know that we need to pray more and that we desire a a more effective prayer life. It's worth it. It's worth the time. It's worth the setting aside. It's worth the intentionality. And so right now, sons and daughters of the Most High God, He's welcoming us. He's beckoning us into His presence. And He says, come and be with me. I want to be known by you. He wants you to ask, to seek, and to knock. And he encourages, he implores us, pray, pray, and keep on praying. And so we'll have staff and leaders and deacons all through the room and the aisles and here in the front if you'd like to pray with someone else or if you just need to pray as a couple or as a family. I want you to do it right now in these moments that we have together. So Let's pray right now, church family, and I'll come back and close us in just a moment.